This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17, and it's the reading for Trinity Sunday in year B of the lectionary, which happens to be May 30th. 2021. In this short passage in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is laying out an essential choice that's offered to the Christian community that's there. And so today I want to talk first about the choice that Paul lays before this community of Christians in Rome. And then I want to focus on the adoption. This word adoption is a a, a key word in this particular passage, and we're going to spend some time unpacking what that adoption means, especially in this context. Then we're going to conclude with just a short little personal story I have about that. Let's start first with the choice. The choice here is about whether or not the community is going to live either according to the flesh, as Paul describes it, or according to the spirit. And Paul's theology is replete with posing the flesh and the spirit against one another. You can read about it in his letter to the Galatians and in other places. This notion of the flesh and the spirit being in conflict or in tension with each other is common in Paul's thinking. And the choice he's offering to the Roman community is quite clear in verses 12 to 14 of Romans chapter 8. If that community chooses to live grounded in the flesh or the body, it will lead them to death. But if that community chooses to live in the spirit, it will lead them to life. What is this about? What does he mean by flesh or body leading to death and the spirit leads to life? We we might think he's making some kind of appeal to be super spiritual or ascetic in some way that would lead us to life. And that's not exactly what the apostle is trying to get at here. You need to understand a little bit about this Christian community in Rome before understanding exactly what these terms mean in this particular context. Paul's writing to a community of Christians that's made up of Jews and Gentiles. Now, the Jewish odyssey within this Christian community is unique in that when the church itself, this Christian community in Rome first started, it was dominantly a Jewish community with a few Gentile converts. And so the community being dominantly Jewish functioned around Jewish law and Jewish ritual. But there came a point in Roman history in the first century when many of the Jews left the city of Rome, and left is a strong word, they actually evicted from the city of Rome by the Roman emperor. And after a period of years of living abroad, many of these Jews returned to the Roman world. And when they returned to Rome, they found that the Christian community that they left, that was once dominated by Jews, has now been under Gentile leadership. And so as these Jewish Christians were returning to Rome, there was a great deal of conflict within this Christian community, and that's what precipitated Paul's letter to them, which we call Romans. You see, this Christian community was completely destabilized because the Jewish Christians within this community believed that they had a a sort of pedigree by virtue of their birth. After all, they were Jewish. They were part of the community from which Jesus comes. And so 
They exacted a form of primacy in the early days of this Roman Christian community. And in that community, the Gentiles maybe weren't second-rate citizens in the early days of this community, but they certainly did not enjoy the status that the Jewish community did as part of this church. And so for the Jews, what flesh means, according to Paul, is, is literally Paul's trying to speak about the flesh of circumcision. In other words, that ritual act on a young boy's birth that makes them part of the Jewish community, that marks them part of that Jewish community by virtue of the circumcision of flesh. And so for Paul, this idea of circumcision and flesh and being part of the Jewish community all go together. So when he's speaking to the Jewish community, he's referring to this sense of being connected to the Jewish law or Jewish ritual, if you will. But the Gentiles, they also have a relationship to flesh too. And that many of them are converts out of various forms of Roman paganism or other uh, religious practices that indulged in a whole variety of human practices and behaviors that in the first century world were simply regarded as not being functional within the Christian community. Uh, we could talk about uh, meat being offered to idols. We could talk about ritualized prostitution, a whole bunch of different practices that the Gentiles were called to leave as they entered into Christian community. So for them, the flesh really is this notion of reverting back to the way they used to be before their conversion. And what Paul's really arguing here is for a way in which we have to make a choice. For the Jews, the choice they have is whether they want to live under the covenant of law or circumcision. That's what Paul means by flesh for them. And the Gentiles, whether they're going to live in this new covenant of redemption and grace in Christ Jesus or revert to the deeds of the flesh that they used to practice before they came to know Christ. And what Paul's really driving toward here is that we have a choice in terms of how we see each other and how these, in this community, the Jews and the Gentiles saw each other, that if they looked at each other strictly in a humanistic sort of way, their vision toward one another would be really small. By just kind of summing up the Gentiles as, as individuals who've come out of this kind of dirty, almost filthy lifestyle of idolatry and paganism, they would not be welcomed into the Christian community the way they should by the Jews. And likewise, if the Jews continued to try to find ways to practice some of these older rituals, which Paul would try to tell them they were now liberated from, um, they would be held in contempt and judgment by the Gentiles. You can imagine the conflict that erupted between these two groups. And when they begin judging each other, curiosity, curiosity about each other dies. Judgment reigns. And for Paul, death becomes very real. He says in verse 13, for if you are living according to the flesh, and remember, he's speaking to both Jews and Gentiles, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. And so the first key passageway here is this, is that the stakes of our worldview are life and death. Paul's word to us in that verse 13 is very serious and powerful. So if we're faced with this choice between the flesh or the spirit, how, how can we have confidence in our choice? How can, we, how can we know if we've made the correct choice? Well, that takes us really to the second piece that I want to share with you, and that's this notion of adoption. 
Paul tells us that if we've chosen to be led by the Spirit and not the flesh, then we're going to have a, a deeply emotional and powerful experience with God and with one another. And the metaphor Paul frames this in, we can find in verse 14, where it says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, whenever we hear one of these metaphors where it talks about uh, Christian community as a son or sons, and whether we hear the metaphor about God as father or in the male, sometimes um, our, our uh, reactive systems go up that the, this ancient world in which it's describing God strictly in masculine terms tends to unnerve us in the 21st century. But for this text, just bear with it for a moment. Bear with the metaphor because there's great richness here that we can pull from the metaphor that has vast and new meaning for us. Of course, gender is vastly more complex for us in the 21st century and for the 21st century Christian community, but just bear with the metaphor for a minute. For the Jewish community to whom Paul is writing, this idea of being a son or the community as being filled with sons is nothing new. It denotes their ancestral inheritance as a people. They're the sons of Israel. They're the children of Israel. So they, they have this inheritance as the chosen people of God, this ancestral inheritance. But for the, the Greek community or the, the Gentile community, sons is related to the human being as a child of the gods. Just deep in Roman and Greek myth is this notion of how every human being is a, a son or an offspring of Zeus. So whether you're Jewish or whether you're Greek, this metaphor of being a son is um, a, a rich metaphor. This language is a, a derivative, and it's really trying to speak to us about is how we find a place of inheritance, of possession, of belonging. You see, what Paul is trying to say here is that the familial structure is the chief witness of being led by the Spirit. In other words, if we're led by the Spirit, our experience of Christian community will be as a family. It's not a, an ideology or a construct. It's being part of a community, a family of people. And so this idea of sons becomes kind of a pivot point for Paul when he's speaking to this Roman community that we need to stop seeing one another strictly in the context of being Jews or Gentiles, each with our own history that we bring with us into this new Christian community. Paul's appeal is really that we have to understand ourselves in, in ways that, that are reflective of how we are understood within the spirit of God and how we understand ourselves as people who are spiritual. And that we've moved in our life from the rejection of the flesh with its law and lust into a new kind of framework where we've moved from slavery to freedom to adoption. That's a very broad and dynamic spectrum, slavery to freedom to adoption. Paul goes so far as to say that our relationship to God is like that of Abba. And remember, stay with this metaphor just a little bit longer of sons and fathers. This word Abba is a, an Aramaic word, and it, it literally means daddy would be the best way to reference it in English. It is the most informal way a child could address their father. Adults would not use this language. And even the children that do, only the smallest ones use this phrase. 
And what Paul's lifting up here, he lifts it up in Galatians, and it's the same word Jesus uses in Mark 14 to talk about how we engage in our relationship with God, is this notion of being small children, engaged in a form of dependency and family together with who God is. See, it, this metaphor reframes the way we see God, the way we see one another, the way even we see our differences. And Paul really sums it up when he says that we've now been adopted. So this worldview of adoption drives us deeper into family, into belonging. Friends, as we read Romans 8, I hope you're, you're hearing what Paul is saying, that if, that if we live in the flesh, then what we do is we see one another in a world of ideology, in ideas, and, and Paul is arguing that what we're about is far from an ideology. It's, it's not an idea, not a notion. It's not a cause. This is about the restoration of the cosmos, life with God and one another, and that that life is in a, a family system that's redemptive, that's whole, it's perfect, it's filled with grace and love and forgiveness, acceptance. The way in which we engage with one another is as family, for the Jewish community to Paul, that Paul is writing to, he's saying that the Gentiles are adopted children of God. They are not stepchildren. They are not orphans. They are adopted children of God, and that the Jewish community needs to look at these Gentiles in a different way. And for the Greek community, the, the Gentiles, Paul is saying, these Jews within your community, they're like your older siblings, respect them, see them for the value that they have brought through their rich tradition into this community in which we live together as Jews and as Greeks. What Paul is echoing is what Peter's words tell us in Acts chapter 10, that we no longer regard each other from a human point of view. And this is really the second key passageway in this text for us today, that we live in intimacy and love with God and others, and that our framing of quote-unquote religion must drive us toward a family. We're part of a family. But friends, for many of us, the family is a broken place. And so when we try to think about this metaphor of being a son or a daughter or a child of God with siblings in community and God is like a parent, for some of us, that's a traumatic place to abide in. And so just as we bring this uh, session, session of passages to a close, just let me share a little personal story that I hope may uh, illumine or help as we try to struggle with this idea of being a part of a family. But for many of us, family is a broken place. I myself am an, an adopted child. I'm well into my 50s now, but I grew up as an adopted child. And as I've gotten older, I've had many opportunities through various interactions with pastors, other leaders, even with therapists to understand the dynamics of what it is to be an adopted child. So when I read a passage like Romans 8, I immediately kind of perk up in hearing this idea of adoption because it, it, it's so foundational to who I am as a human being. And, and if I looked at my adoption and the dynamics of my adoption in the flesh, just from a, a flesh point of view, what I see is a, a woman, my biological mother, her name was Ray, and she became pregnant at a very, very young age, and she decided to give me up for adoption. And when one is adopted, there's this strange 
tension that we hold about looking at our biological parent from the standpoint of the individual who let us go or abandoned us. But as I grew older, I began to learn it's not so much about abandonment. There was a great sense of bravery and courage that Ray had when she made the decision to give me up for adoption, realizing that someone else could possibly offer me something that she could not. A daring and bold choice for her, a woman of great courage. My biological father, I don't even know. I have no way of even finding him. I was born in 1968, and so the relationships between people and sexual uh, relationships with one another, well, they were a little fuzzy in 1968 as they still are today. And so I don't even know who my biological father is. So if I just look at it from the fleshly point of view, I can form certain opinions about Ray. I can form certain opinions about my biological father. And then even my adopted parents, my mom and my dad, as I call them, of course, each of them with their strengths and their weaknesses. My mom was doting, loving, graceful, even to the very end of her life, and she died just a couple of years ago. My mother was a a stable and loving presence in my life for me and for my children, a, a woman for whom I will always give thanks, even with her weaknesses, even with her shortcomings as a human being. And my, my dad had a very close relationship with my dad growing up. He was a, a fount of wisdom for me, of knowledge, of life experience, just a dedicated work ethic. My my mom and dad were blue-collar people and worked very hard in their life. But my dad had terrible trouble with his anger, terrible trouble with bitter root judgments. Even today, out of all of these people, my dad is still alive, but he and I have a broken relationship together and have had a broken relationship for years. You see, if I looked at all of these relationships between my biological mother, Ray, my biological father, I don't even know his name, my own mom and dad, I could look at these from a fleshly point of view and I could see the human brokenness that's there. I could see the ways that human brokenness affected me. But I have to tell you that my conversion to Christianity when I was 13 years old became for me the perfect adoption. And and what I realized in my conversion to Christ is what it is for me to truly be a, a son of God, an adopted son of God. And I know how to see my life. I I know how to see it strictly in human terms, that in many ways I am a a, a victim of my upbringing, and in other ways I am a violator of it. I am a chief sinner in it. But I give thanks to God. Thanks to God for these human beings that, that poured themselves in, in one way or another, to ensuring that I could see wonderful days ahead. I'm so thankful for every single one of these human individuals that influenced me. But I'm also thankful to God, my perfect parent, who redeems all things. And so, friends, the third key passageway is this, is that adoption is the essence of belonging, and that this is what our faith is really about. Our faith isn't about ideology. It's not about even dogma. It's about believing, belonging, and becoming. And the reality is that along this journey, we're all on our way. And what Paul is trying to tell this Jewish and this Gentile community in the Church of Rome is that we're along our way, and if we can simply look at one another in the framework of a family, with all the dynamics that that brings, we can begin to see our way through to life and to hope 
in the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is in us. Paul tells us that the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What a rich promise for us today. That adoption is the essence of belonging. So as we try to live into this new future of being a family of faith, as messy and as muddy as that can be, we know that God's grace is at work in it. God, our perfect parent, is leading us along the way. So may we give thanks today for all those who have been in our life as parents or as parental figures. But let's give thanks to God who calls us into deep and rich community with one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray God's richest blessings for you, and we'll see you again soon. God be with you. Bye-bye.